Paramedic 61, District 6. Stage 1 shooting. Skimmer Wayne, near Lakeland, Charles, 478 Tango. 378-1654. Thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. Now the always entertaining Chris Ceballero and the Ted Nugent of EMS, Kelly Grayson. Well, once again, it's time to go inside EMS. You know, I'm Chris, he's Kelly. Kelly, come on in here and let's get this show going. I think we got a really good show. And I'm really excited to uh, bring it to them. We're going to take a seat at the guest table. But before that, I need my weekly dose of ketchup with my good friend Kelly. That's what we should do. We should start a new session called Catch Up with Kelly. Yeah. Uh, well, it d- depends. Is, is it like catch up as in uh, what's new with you, or is it catch up as in the condiment? You know what? I, you know what makes me. You know, you say that. I would that. make ketchup better. It would be like barbecue sauce and yeah. sriracha with me. So I always wonder that, you know, when your dog comes up to you and they start licking you, are they licking you because they love you, or are they thinking this guy would taste better with ketchup? I, I think it's the latter. You do, uh, yeah. I think every time I, I take Shine for a ride in the car, he, he sits behind me, and, and we'll go walking. And, and uh, after the walk is always when he does it. He licks my behind my ear does all the really? time. It's just, oh, it drives me crazy. So that's where you uh, put that peanut butter, though. Are you putting that peanut butter behind your ear? <laughs> Who are you trying to no, BS? No, I don't, I don't put the peanut butter behind my but ear. Hang on, stop right there, stop right there, because it's nope. your dog, right? Yeah, it's my dog. <laughs> if it's your dog, it's not weird. Stop it, stop it. Let's go ahead no, and do this. He, I think he licks behind my ear because I'm salty and sweaty. And, yeah, and whatever, some, man. You know what? Sad. I mean, I think this. We're, we're, we're on the route for 150 shows, but this may be the last <laughs> one. This may be the straw that broke the camel's back right here. But, you yeah. know, Kelly... Yeah, I'm really excited about this week's show. I mean, last week, you know, we answered fans' Facebook posts, and they asked about, you know, sleeping at night and and some Mm -hmm. of the advice that we can give them to kind of, you know, help them in the point of, what do I got to do to wake up? Well, of course, uh, last week was uh, NAEMSP uh, down there in New Orleans. A lot of people were there, and uh, there were some really great sessions. And we're going to bring in a guest, mm-hmm. uh, Catherine Cowan. She is an EMS1 columnist, and she's got a whole bunch of uh, uh, different uh, things that she's doing. We're going to let her discuss those. But, Counts, come on in here, and let's uh, say hello to the EMS1 audience. Hey, guys. Happy to be here. Happy to have you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So just for the folks that don't know you, why don't you just give us a little rundown of who you are and a little bit about what you're about? Um, so I took a very weird path into EMS. I'm second generation. My dad was a paramedic when I was growing up, but I am a health services researcher, which means I'm a non-clinician, non-physician, and I happen to have a vested interest in EMS and seeing EMS succeed. And a couple of the topics that I specialize in are quality, patient safety, and employee safety, which is kind of where I'm here, to, why I'm here today. Um, and then I'm also a member of NEMSP, which is kind of how I get connected to that boat as well. Awesome. Do you have any, any knowledge or any research on inappropriate co-hosts that we can, anything that you could bring to the table on that? Yeah, because I, I can I, use some ammunition against Chris, for sure. I mean, I think it's. I think inappropriate isn't sometimes a bad thing. Sometimes it just keeps it light and keeps it easy and the conversation flowing. Although I am a little disappointed that honey mustard was left out of the conversation. Because, I mean, what if you like ketchup? Look at you, man. Look at you getting ready, feeding into his good side. Honey honey mustard is my middle name, baby. (laughs) So, uh, Counts, you 
wrote an article, and you, you have an ongoing article calling Making EMS Count, which I think is a, a great name for your article, you know, mm-hmm. kind of relates to your name. But you have an article out there that is talking about why shift work is unhealthy and dangerous. And again, last week we were kind of talking about giving some advice of how we can give, uh, you know, the new EMTs some ammunition to, to kind of do shift work. Now, uh, last week at NEMSP, there was a session on this. So how did this article come about? Maybe just give a little background as to uh, how you got involved with this article. Well, I'll start with the NEMSP session because those those results from that session will probably be out later this calendar year, but it was evidence-based guidelines for fatigue management and EMS. And so there's a recognition in the industry, which I think the two of you can probably both support, that um, paramedics and shift workers and EMTs and first responders don't always necessarily sleep as much as they should or when they should. And when they don't sleep, maybe bad things happen, whether it's falling asleep at the wheel or not being as on their A game, so to say, when taking care of a patient. And so there's a recognition across the industry that we need to look more into the effect of a lack of sleep and fatigue and exhaustion exhaustion and all of the bad things that happen when you're either physically or emotionally tired. And so these guidelines that were uh, talked about at NAMSP are going to be released later this year. And essentially, they're going to be evidence-based guidelines, which means they're supported by science, tons of literature behind them. And this idea of here are the rules we need to follow. Just like we have we have reasons why we do certain things for cardiac arrest patients. There are reasons why we need to do certain things for employee safety and employee sleep requirements, so to say, whether it's a safe sleep room or, hey, give your employees caffeine, access to caffeine because caffeine makes them safer or other things like that. And so I'm really excited to see the results of the systematic reviews going into those guidelines, but sadly they're not available yet. So we're going to have to rely on the pre-existing literature, which is where my EMS1 article comes into play. What pushback would you expect when the when those guidelines are actually published? Because it, it strikes me that the the agencies that do it well already and 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 pay attention and, and uh, to their their workers' sleep time and and have fatigue mitigation policies uh, probably already are at least cognizant of or or willing to follow those guidelines. But the the culprits, the bad players in the industry. Are, are not likely to be swayed by anything but dollars. Uh, well, so how would I you w- rebut them? I would say this, Kelly. I don't believe in the quote-unquote bad apple theory. So mm-hmm. I'm going to argue that there's there's a systematic response, and it's going to be a change in culture within the EMS well, I, industry. I work with a bad apple. You know, Sebolero actually came out in favor of the 24-hour shift just last week. So. Oh, um, that's just so <laughs> scary. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I don't but, know that I came out in favor of it. I think that I, I he think was that, devil's advocate yes, last week. Then. But I, I do think you know, and I think we both agree, Kelly, that if your UHU, your unit hour utilization, your productivity is high, it's probably not the best model to have. But if you're in one of those rural systems who run maybe one or two calls in a 24-hour period, I think that that's where that's practical. But uh, I really enjoyed your question, uh, and I want to hear the answer to that. So let's not digress. So, Council, what, what, what's the answer to, uh, to Kelly's question? So staying on topic, right. um, my response would be that it's going to be operationalizing guidelines. So the, the organizations that are going to push back are going to be those that maybe have a medium to high UHU and have trouble envisioning how to operationalize. You know, say the guideline says, give your employees free coffee because coffee is good. Okay, well, how much is that going to cost me to operationalize? Or give your employees X number of hours off between a shift. Okay, sorry, it's festival season or it's, you know, the 
the Super Bowl's in town. So I can't because if I give my employees too much time off, then all of a sudden I don't have enough paramedics and EMTs filling the trucks. And then patients are waiting to get an ambulance. And so there's going to be pushback, I think, at that level. Yeah, and I think that one of the things that we got to think about as EMS leaders is is the the potential of of you know harming a patient, the potential of harming uh, you know people that are you know in the road with us. Kelly and I talk all the time. Counts about you know drivers that have fallen asleep, and one mm-hmm. of the things that you talk about in your article is you know recovering from lack of sleep, and you know there, there's even a correlation here that talks about that workers with 11 hours of sleep or less they often see a drastic reduction in the amount of time that they sleep as well. I mean, so when we start to think about how hard we're working them, we got to be cognizant of their off-duty time as well. Well, let me clarify. It's not 11 hours of sleep. It's if you have less than 11 hours between the end of your shift and the start of your shift, which if, you know, and that's one of those things where it's not, you know, oh, I go on at five and I get off at five. It's okay. I go in at five. So I have to be there at four 30 to get my truck ready. And then I get off at five, but I have a late call at four 55. And then I'm not actually out of the door until six 15 because I do my shift report. Then realistically speaking, you've actually, you've cut it down to six 15. They're off and four 30. They're on. So is that really 12 hours? Not really. And so it's recognizing what is off mean and what is coming on mean and yes, if they have less than 11 hours, they end up worrying about, okay, I got to go home. I got to cook dinner. I got to walk the dog. I got to take a shower because, I mean, we need people to take showers, guys. And they do all these other things in their head, and then they're just planning the rest of their day when they wake up. Okay, when I wake up, I have to make my kids' school lunches. I have to fill my car with gas. And at the end of the day, they end up sleeping less because they're planning everything they need to do. They're distracted. They don't have time to decompress from their day or prepare for their next day. Yeah, I think that's something that, that many managers miss is that our time off is not solely devoted to sleep. We have lives that we have to and responsibilities that we have to manage uh, during our time off, and, and we can't always get the requisite uh, amount of sleep. Um, I found it interesting in your in your article that uh, that the evening workers are, are typically the ones that that have the the longest sleep hours and have the uh, the less uh, likelihood of of uh, disturbing their circadian rhythms and such. So when you were talking about operationalizing these these guidelines, would you recommend something like desired shift schedules and, and that sort of thing, like eight-hour shifts, uh, rather than move from a 12 and 12 to a, uh, maybe a, a three-shift-per-day schedule, uh, like a 3 to 11, that sort of thing? Would that be one of the, the strategies uh, employers could, could utilize to uh, meet those guidelines? I don't know if, I don't know what the right answer to that is. Cause I think that legitimately does depend on how busy your system is and how many employees you have. I think you could consider eight hour shifts. You could consider 10 hour shifts. You can consider 14 hour shifts depending on system busyness. Um, as far as the evening shift is concerned, legitimately, I mean, humans, we work on an over 24 hour circadian rhythm cycle. And so evening shifts are typically easier on the body, so to say. And it's, you know, we normally like when you're off and you're off for a couple of days, you don't keep your day or your night shift schedule. You kind of settle into this like quasi evening shift, depending on what your normal shift is. And so that's our natural rhythm to sleep in. And therefore that it's why I wasn't surprised to hear that evening shifts are quote unquote, the easiest to get the most sleep during. Well, I found that when I hit my, my forties, I, I had the circadian rhythms of a cat. I like to sleep about 20 hours a day. Um, well, aren't you special? No, he's not. So one of the things that I found out that, or that I found interesting as well was the relationship between shift work and chronic disease. Can you talk a little bit about that? 
As far as the kind of the quote unquote mechanism of action, what we know is that not getting enough sleep due to shift work is hypothesized to have an effect on health outcomes. But that means the data exists between shift work and poor sleep and the data exists between poor sleep and adverse health outcomes. But there's no direct attributable link between shift work and health outcomes. It's not clear there's debate, there's there's so many different studies that have different ramifications and different designs that we don't have verifiable proof quite yet. So there so there's correlation, definitely, but we, we can't quite prove causation at this point. Exactly. Well I tell you, you know, I think EMS in general uh, is uh, there's a correlation uh, to uh, to poor health outcomes and and strokes and MIs and obesity and everything else. Uh, I it uh, I work for a little small ambulance service starting out where we you know if we ran three calls a day we were busy 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 uh, and God did I gain the weight and my health went to crap uh, just from the lifestyle. So um, uh, you're already working in the negative uh, with with the EMS lifestyle. Um, add the the lack of sleep and rest to it, and uh, it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah, and one of the oh, no, things if, to just just to throw on top of that too, and we already know that you know the stress that we have raises our cortisol level, which is now going to give us some of those challenges as well. But you know, then we're going to have increased stress, which is now going to give our, our hearts more challenge, our blood pressures. Our blood pressure is going to go up. You know, one of the things that, uh, you know, you say here in your article is that night shift workers are also at a higher risk for colorectal cancer. And uh, I think I'm getting that just listening to Kelly talk. But, you know, so I, I think that stress will add to this as well to, to aid in those chronic diseases. Oh, definitely. Like, Chris, I- you're at risk for colorectal cancer because your head is there most of the time. Oh, just like that was, that that was, that's like Deadpool. That's a good one. <laughs> That's a good one. I can't. Um, no, absolutely. The stress of being a first responder and the stuff that y'all see on day in and day out, and then the additive effect of unhealthy access, like non-access to healthy foods. Is you're sitting all day. Maybe you don't have exor- access to exercise equipment, or on your 11 hours off, you're busy making lunch for the kids and taking care of your parents, and you know going to church or something else. And so all of those add up to where you don't necessarily have the off time or the downtime to give the energy necessary to physically taking care of yourself. And then you're also stressed out during work because you're seeing these horrible things. And it all, it just all adds up. You know, so one of the things that we think about when we talk about shift work now, and when these guidelines come out, is there going to be more of a responsibility of EMS leaders to maybe diminish and stop the 24-hour shifts from happening? I mean, because in in theory, if if folks are are up for a a majority of their 24-hour shifts, and I know that this could have uh, correlation to chronic disease, if this could have, uh, uh, you know, detrimental uh, outcomes for my workforce, aren't I liable to this then if these guidelines come out to say, uh, look at what we're doing to our workforce, but we let them do it anyway? I'm going to plead the fifth because I'm not a lawyer. Well, that makes you different from just about everyone in EMS who is who is totally willing to express a legal opinion with no training whatsoever. So <laughs> that uh, makes you one one very unusual uh, EMT and researcher. One of the things that that struck me in the the quotes from the research interview uh, when we're talking about operationalizing these these guidelines, uh, this quote says the best supported method for improving 
sleep in shift workers includes having a forward rotating shift system day, evening, night, and avoiding short recovery periods uh, of less than 11 hours. You know, typically you, you see a lot of systems that, that have fluid deployment models and they will they have their regular shifts, uh, the, the core shifts that they run, and then they uh, supplement that during peak times with these power trucks that, that may be eight hours, 10 hours, that sort of thing during peak times. It, it occurs to me that if with a little bit of research, you could probably go to nothing but power trucks and just schedule more of them uh, during peak times and, and do away with uh, with things like 12-hour uh, shifts and 14-hour and shifts. You might be able to get away with shorter ones. But the, the rotating shift system um, sounds intriguing to me. Uh, quite well, a bit. I think there's something to be said about using the data that's at, in your system to figure out when you're actually busy. You know, if you have reliable data for the past two years that at two o'clock in the morning in mid-January, you're going to get one call an hour, use that data to your advantage and schedule accordingly. You don't want to have four trucks sitting there. That being said, you need to have the available resources to kind of, quote unquote, upfill should something like an MCI happen. As far as the rotating shifts, that's this idea of, oh, I'm on days, and then I switch to evenings, and then I don't have to go back to days, I actually go back to nights. And you rotate forward, because that goes back to this whole human circadian rhythm of being about 24 and a half to 25 hours. And so if you, you lock a human in a cave and they don't see sunlight, they will naturally progress and they'll sleep on a 25-hour cycle rather than the 24-hour cycle of daylight. And so that's what that's referencing to some extent as far as the biology is concerned. Yeah, that's really interesting. So one of the things that I think is, you know, when we think about 24-hour shifts, just as you were talking, and, and, you know, I was trying to think about, I wonder if we could figure out how much it would increase a EMS system's bottom line if we went to 12-hour shifts instead of 24-hour shifts as we break down, you know, the overtime, and as we say, how much is it really going to cost us in the end? One of the things that I started thinking after that was, if we start to move into 12-hour shifts instead of 24-hour shifts, another big problem in EMS is getting rubber on the road, is getting the butts in the seats, because a lot of EMS systems that are out there have big staffing problems as it is. And, and I don't know that it's it's kind of a double-edged sword. If you go to 12-hour shifts, do you have enough people to cover the shifts? And then secondarily, if you keep them on 24-hour shifts, are we harming our workforce? Uh, I don't know what to say to that, because I mean, I think 24-hour shifts are just... I, I just think they're so unhealthy. I mean, you. I mean, everybody, everybody that's listening to this has pulled an all-nighter at some point in time. And by the end of your quote-unquote all-nighter, you are not the same human being that you were when you rolled out of bed the morning prior. And so to ask that human being to take care of a sick grandma or an MVC in the side of a ditch is, is ethically questionable. That being said, would you rather have a tired human being versus no human being? Right, in the point. seat in the ambulance and I mean I get the argument you can say oh well, we're not going to fill the seats and I think in some cases that is true but if operationally if you use that as an excuse to not even evaluate the situation to figure out whether or not 24 or 14 or 12 or 10 hour shifts is best for your system if you just say if you just assume that oh what we're doing works we don't need to worry about considering another alternative then that's not okay you can't just ex- you can't just accept this Oh, well, I know it's not going to work, so I'm not even going to look at it. Right. Like, that's why we have data. KG, like, that's yeah, the researcher in me coming out. 
Nancy and I were, were actually discussing this on our daily dog walk and, and she, uh, and she pointed out that, you know, a healthy shift and taking care of your workers and giving them a shift that's conducive to, to good health and, and, uh, employee satisfaction actually be a selling point for your agency. And in a broader perspective, I think that's one of the things that a lot of bottom line types don't really consider is that, uh, a, uh, a shift that's more conducive to good health and to adequate rest is going to result in happier workers, more productive workers, probably spending less time on task, uh, less time off uh, in sick time. Uh, it's going to play a role in improving your staffing issues and improving, uh, uh, reducing your employee turnover. Uh, I think if you can, if there's any way uh, that you can create a happier, healthier workforce, it's going to pay dividends in the long run. The problem is, is quite a few managers don't look at the long, uh, at the long run. Uh, they only look at, at how am I going to fill the schedule the next month, uh, or however long it is, they, they make it ahead of time. Well, there's uh, so a bigger I problem, this, Kelly. Yeah. The What's bigger that? problem is that the EMTs and paramedics that are working are not making a livable wage, and you start taking away that, that built-in overtime for them, and they automatically can't make ends meet as well. Well, she was she she had a solution for that, but we'll save that for another show. We'll we'll have Nancy and and Counts back on, and and uh, they'll solve all the problems of EMS for us uh, while we just sit back and take notes. Because I know but, we're not uh, doing it. We're not solving the problem, no, so we need the no, women to well, come in and do that. I've solved them several times over, but the hangover always wiped it out. That's so. right. So, Count, as we get ready to close, you have in your article the top four takeaways for emergency responders. Could you share those with us? So. I think the top four takeaways, as I read the article, is that early morning shifts and night shifts are the worst. Kind of like I said earlier, evening shifts are more natural for us as humans. But if you're waking up before six or five in the morning, you're breaking your circadian rhythm and it's ruining you. You're bra- you're waking up pre-REM cycle completion. And then, of course, night shift, you're sleeping during the day, which is just utterly unnatural for most of us. Um, people need chances to recover from shift work. So that that's twofold. That means that you have to, you can't do, I work a day, I'm off a day, I work a day, I'm off a day. You have to work a chunk of days, develop a rhythm, get into it, and then you have a chunk of days off so that you can recover. Yeah. Uh, and then also, for those days that you're working a chunk of days in a row, you need more than 11 hours off in a row. These days when you're pulling a 16-hour shift and you're back in the house eight hours later, I mean, if you had eight hours officially off, how many hours were you actually out of the station? How many hours did it take you to shower, go home, get to bed, wake up, et cetera? And then finally, there's a, it seems like there's a dose-dependent relationship in this. So the longer you've been doing shift work, the worse it is for you, uh, which I think anybody that's listening can agree with. You know, these young 22-year-old kids that are out there, like they're like, oh yeah, I can work five shifts in a row and I'm fine. I've been awake for 72 hours. I'm like, I'm so proud of you, but that's not healthy and that's not good for us. And of course you hit and the they, 40 and 45. They can't envision, yeah, they can't envision yeah. a day when that will no longer be true for them. Yeah, it's like the Red Bull can give you wings all you want, but sometimes Red Bull doesn't work. 
Yeah, and your feathers shed after a while, and they, it takes them longer to grow back, yeah. Your feathers do shed. And then the final takeaway is just this idea of we're not really sure about the connection between shift work, sleep, and poor health outcomes. We obviously think it exists. Everyone on this phone call kind of agrees it definitely does exist, even if the literature doesn't exist, which is why I'm so excited for these evidence-based guidelines to come out, because they're going to be the epitome of calling the literature to tell us what we know now and what are the questions we need to ask moving forward. And I think that one of the things that we need to think about, too, is that when those guidelines come out, come on back and let's talk about them. But is there any any recommendations that you can give so I can get the visual out of my head about Kelly's relationship with his dog? (laughs) No, let's go ahead and save that one, Counts. I'm not going to put you on the spot for that, but I'm going to give it to Kelly because he's going to do his thing and uh, we're going to go from there. But hey, we've heard what Counts thinks. Uh, Chris and I tend to agree, but we'd like to hear what you think. Uh, what do you think about shift work? Uh, what's the ideal shift? Um, how can we mitigate the fatigue and the, the health factor uh, that's inherent in, in the shifts that we work? Email us at the show at ems1.com. And for myself, co-host Chris Sabalero, and our guest at the guest table this week, Catherine Counts, public health researcher uh, and rising star in EMS, This is Kelly Grayson. Thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We'll catch you guys next week.